Well, let's turn now to our Bibles. We're looking this morning at John chapter 11, and uh, we're coming now to the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. Let's hear what the Bible has to tell us this morning. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where uh, was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, uh, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus took away the stone. Uh, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let us pray together. Our Lord, we ask that you would help us now as we come to your word to not only understand it, but be transformed by it. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Death, be not proud. So said the poet John Donne. And yet, why not? After all, death has a lot to be proud about. There was another shooting this week in a school. And that plane crash with 110 people killed and 10 pastors and their their, their wives. The truth is, everyone will die, whether violently or by the creeping indignity of old age. We don't like to think about it because it's not a pleasant thought. In fact, some people go so far in denial that they try to photoshop out the reality of death altogether. Uh, One recent survey showed that one in eight people think they are immortal in the sense they think they will not die at all. But death is not put off by such wishful thinking. You know what the ultimate statistic is, don't you? One in one people die. And yet here in this story, we have the good news of the Bible in microcosm. Our pain, our suffering, even death is defeated by Jesus' love. If we believe. The resurrection meets death. And the resurrection wins. This tale of Lazarus is told in a brilliant bracket structure. At the start, uh, Jesus says that he is going to be glorified. And then at the climax, at the end, he reminds them that he said he would be glorified. In between, Lazarus himself says nothing, that nothing would detract from the glory of Jesus shown in delay, death, and resurrection. First, delay. It's quite deliberate. Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus, but Jesus does not hurry to help. He could heal him. He does not. He delays. 
Verse 6 is translated sometimes, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer. It could be expressed like this. Therefore, because Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he delayed two days. In other words, Jesus not only did not rush to help, he deliberately waited until Lazarus was dead. And when in verse 14 he makes this plain to the disciples by saying, Lazarus is dead. Thomas, not the most upbeat of disciples at the best of times, naturally enough concludes that dying is what Jesus wants. He delayed so that Lazarus could die. Thomas is probably reasoning. Therefore, let us go so we can die. After all, Jesus was being opposed by the Pharisees to the extent that they're trying to kill him. Perhaps it is time to do a sort of ancient Jim Jones suicide pact and drink the Kool-Aid and all die together. The disciples, of course, were still very confused about what on earth Jesus was up to. Because we have the rest of the Bible, we know Jesus did not delay because he morbidly likes death. But still, it is easy, isn't it, even for us who have Bibles, to think that God's delays are for a negative, if not nasty, purpose. Don't you find that? Don't you find that when God seems to delay answering your prayers, it's natural to wonder if it is because God does not want you to be happy? That God doesn't care about you really? He wants you to stop taking up space and get on with dying? I find for many people today it's not that difficult to believe that God exists, but it is all too easy to believe that God does not want what is best for them. Perhaps you are suffering. We all do from time to time. Maybe you have a disabled child. And you have prayed over and over again for God to heal that child. And perhaps God has not. Perhaps you have a friendship that you want restored. And you have prayed over and over again that God would restore that friendship. And he seems to not be doing anything about it. Do not judge God's purposes by the time scale of your mortality. He works on an eternal scale. His delays are for love's sake. He does not delay to answer your prayers because he does not love you. He delays to answer your prayers because he does love you. I remember feeling frustrated when the church replant that I was leading had attempted to buy what we thought was a very strategic building, but for various reasons, the opportunity was missed. It seemed as if God was not answering our prayers. And then a few years later, we purchased a much 
better building in an even more strategic location. It was a delay because he loved us. I know other sufferings and pains that are too confidential to mention from the pulpit, but nonetheless are very real. And while I cannot yet see how God's delays means he loves in those situations, because I have seen how his delays do mean he loves at other times, I am learning to trust him for these delays as well. Now, perhaps this story of Jesus' delay for Lazarus, whom he loved, will help you trust him for your delays too, beloved. And then after the delay, the death. Death is so hard for us to face up to. I was amused to discover recently there's a survey of nursing homes that found that only one in 500 people in nursing homes had made any plan at all about what to do should they become seriously ill. You would think that in nursing homes the possibility of becoming seriously ill would at least be on the front burner. Oh, no, we like to avoid thoughts of death. Do you know that in the last 10 minutes of my speaking, 100 million of your brain cells have died? <laughs> well, here they're not quite avoiding death, but they do wish Jesus had been there to stop it. And Jesus replies in words that are famous from funerals but can be used much more often. I am the resurrection and the life, he says in verse 25. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. This is not just hope for life after death. Jesus is not just saying he has resurrection power. He is saying that he is the resurrection. When you believe in Jesus by his spirit, as we remember this Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar, in Jesus we are now connected to his resurrection. Actually, that's what it means to be a Christian. To be regenerate, to live and believe in him and never die. A Christian is someone who has passed from death to life. And physical death is now a mere delay before we are resurrected physically. That's good news, isn't it? But despite this, and despite Jesus knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus still wept. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Robert Estienne, who finalized the verses in our Bibles in the 16th century, hit upon gold when he made this the shortest verse. In the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. For death is still wrong. Death is evil. 
Even though we Christians know that we will rise again, we also know that death is sad. I uh, preached this verse at an African-American church where I was doing the funeral for a 21-year-old African-American man, a member of our church who had died fast of cancer. His father had died of cancer too. His father had been a committed missionary to the inner city area where we were working. The son had been a gifted Christian leader with huge potential. I remember visiting him in hospital, noticing how thin he looked, and just a few days later he was dead. The place was packed. If you want a lot of people to turn up to your funeral, just die young. An organ punctuated every other sentence I preached. I got more amens in that sermon than I did the rest of the year combined. I think every preacher should preach in an African-American church once a year at least just to raise his spirits. You know there are people with you when you say, Jesus wept, but Jesus raised it from the dead, and each phrase is accompanied with amen or hallelujah. They were weeping, and they were celebrating. Perhaps you are mourning a loss. Perhaps it is a death. Or the death of a friendship. Or the end of an opportunity. It is common in a nice place like Wheaton to pretend that everything is perfect. But it does not say Jesus smiled. It says, Jesus wept. We have too few tears in church. We should have tears of joy and tears of repentance and tears of the fear of God and tears of celebration. We also have too little passion. We are told here twice that Jesus was deeply moved, verse 33 and verse 38. The word there, you know, could also be translated angry. It comes uh, originally from the noise a horse makes when it snorts in fury in battle. And so, metaphorically, as it were, Jesus snorted with anger at death. You know, I think a man is measured by what makes him mad. Little people get angry about little things. Do you get angry when someone cuts you off while driving? Do you get angry when you make less money than someone else? 
Jesus was angry at death. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. He was angry. He was mad. He was deeply moved and troubled. This death is wrong. This death is evil. This suffering, this sadness, this pain. All because of our rebellion against our creator God. And it makes God mad. Angry. It makes him sad. Jesus wept. Jesus was deeply moved. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you were deeply moved? Were you deeply moved when you saw a superhero movie? Were you deeply moved at a nice piece of music? Were you deeply moved when you drove past a mosque and saw people who do not know that Jesus is God and were you mad, angry at the thought of people dying forever, not knowing Christ? Were you angry at the poverty and injustice of racism in our country? Were you angry at the rape culture on the campuses of many of our universities? You know, I think if you're not deeply moved, you are very unlikely to be moved to do deep things. My guess is that we have about as many new Christians each year as we truly want. My guess is that we have about as many kingdom progression each year as we really want. My guess is that we have about as many new missionaries each year as we truly desire. If you're more angry about your own preferences than God's own glory, then what you will have is your preferences and little glory. A man is, yes, measured by what makes him mad. The resurrection encounters death, and the resurrection wins. But first, he is deeply moved and troubled in spirit. After the delay and the death, there is now, though, the resurrection. I love this part of the story. It is so full of glory. Note the faith required. Take away the stone, Jesus said. You see, tombs then were cut into the rock and contained several dead bodies before the bones were later gathered and put into what we call ossuaries or bone boxes. And a stone was rolled across the entrance to keep out animals and grave robbers who were frequent in those days. Jesus is asking them to trust him enough to first move that stone. We too need to trust Jesus enough to act as if we believe what we say we believe about our families, about our bank accounts, about our relationships, about the gospel to share Jesus with our neighbors.
But then here comes Martha. Lord, by this time there's a bad odor. Martha is the practical one who wants to remind Jesus that maybe he has forgotten that uh, in the Middle East it only took a few days for the body to start to decompose. Jesus is unperturbed. Did I not tell you, he says uh, in verse 40, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And all this story is leading up to this point, to show the glory of God in Jesus through the pain and suffering of our lives, even our deaths, as Jesus triumphs over Lazarus' death. Well, they do take away the stone, and then Jesus prays. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. You see, Jesus has already prayed in private. He's prayed in private for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. Early in the story, Jesus shows his prayerful, complete confidence that he would raise Lazarus. He's already prayed. If a man is measured by what makes him angry, a man or woman will not grow to a spiritual stature beyond the nourishment of his private devotional life. Private prayer is the most significant predictor of personal Christ-likeness. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Well, prayer in public has a primary audience to God, but a secondary audience to those who are praying with us. Praying in public is an opportunity to lead others to pray. And here we are allowed, as it were, a glimpse into the intimacy of the eternal triune relationship of God the Father and God the Son to show us that they are one and that Jesus is God and is glorious. And then Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Some bellicose brothers seem to think that greater volume will equal greater spiritual power, as if the courts of heaven are persuaded to act more dramatically by an increase of decibels. Others think this loud voice is so Lazarus could hear. But the grave clothes of the time were not so restrictive as to limit hearing. A sheet enveloped the body, the feet were bound at the ankles, and the cloth over the face was a kind of handkerchief that was worn in life around the neck. No, the loud voice is not for God or Lazarus to hear, but that we would. It shouts out of the page the sheer power of Jesus, his authority, his command. You see, we today associate authority almost always with something bad. But here is good authority. Jesus makes it loud and clear that he is the resurrection and the life. That power in him, that authority in him is glorious. It is victory over proud death. He commands, death be gone, and it flees. He cries, Lazarus, come out. 
I think it was Charles Spurgeon who first joked that if Jesus had not said who he specifically wanted to come out of the tomb by calling Lazarus by name, then everyone else would have come out too. Such is the power of Christ. Lazarus is told to come out, or literally, here, outside. It's like a father calling a child to tell him it's time to play outside. Here, outside. And Lazarus, still with the grave clothes on, comes out. He, he will die again. So different is this resurrection from Jesus's, who left the grave clothes neatly folded and who was raised to an immortal body. Lazarus is raised mortal and must face death again, but raised he is. Death, be not proud. What do we learn from this story? At least these three Lazarus lessons. First, that we all must face death. I don't want to be morbid or Cassandra-like, but let me underline it for us. We will die. It's only a matter of when. And yes, Jesus could return first, but then we will face him and be raised either to eternal life or eternal death at that point. He who does not have an answer to death has no answer to life. We can joke about it in a sort of gallows humor like Oscar Wilde who planned to say on his deathbed this to his wife. Either that wallpaper goes or I do. But death may come as a surprise as it did for Oscar Wilde who died separated from his wife alone and penniless in Paris. One opera singer actually died on stage at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City of a heart attack immediately after singing the line, Too bad you can only live so long. Are you ready for death? It could be now. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Do so before it is too late. Believe in him with all your heart. Second, we learn that Jesus loves us. Do not interpret his delays as signs of his disinterest. Learn to tell time by the clock of eternity. Jesus' delays are only for the good of his beloved Christian. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Everything that happens to you, even a delay of the good that he has for you, even when he appears not to answer your appeals for help, even that is for love's sake, even death. He weeps over the pain you experience. And he takes all that pain and damnable evil of the effects of a world in rebellion against God in himself 
on the cross that you might not experience pain and suffering forever, but rise to new life. His love is not like a sentimental, sloppy, wet kiss. His love is like a man furious at a funeral of a friend, untimely dead. His love is like the power of his commanding voice. His love is like the cross. His love is like the resurrection. Christian, he loves you with a passion. Third, we learn that we are to live now with resurrection power. This power of the resurrection is not intended to give you only hope for your deathbed, as essential as that is. It is intended to free you so you no longer live in the shadow lands of death. Death be not proud, for, as that poem by John Donne continues, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. In Christ, who is the resurrection, you have this resurrection power beginning to be at work in you now. No more fearing to face the facts of death. No more going through the motions of a life lived as mere existence, passing the days with a mournful wish there was something better on Netflix tonight. No more disciples moping around just waiting to die. If we believe, we know we'll rise again from death to life. And so we live our days now, free from death's dark shadow, to spread the good news of the light of the glory of God in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Let us pray together. Do you have an answer to death? Would you now, in the silence, put your trust in Christ? Ask Him to forgive you your sins. to give you his spirit that you might rise to new life now and after death forever. Lord, we do ask that you would help us with delays 
that we would not interpret your delays as a sign of your disinterest in our suffering. Help us, Lord, to see things from an eternal perspective and to interpret your deeds in our lives through the lens of your love shown at the cross. That you love us and always for love's sake. Lord, would you help us not to fake it until we make it. But like you, weep over what is wrong. Be moved over what is evil. That you would rise up within us a new passion for the progress of your gospel. Lord, help us to live this life confident in the life to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.